I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report. You can see in, in a moment like this, you need to be able to be self-reliant and do some things on your own and not necessarily rely on overseas production and manufacturing to somehow make its way to your you know, mailbox. Once America's most storied shipbuilding facility, the Brooklyn Navy Yard played a pivotal role in World War II manufacturing some of the U.S. Navy's most famous fighting ships and employing a staggering 70,000 workers at the time. In 1969, the Navy Yard was reimagined as an industrial park that offered a space for modern manufacturing to flourish. While it took a while to get off the ground, since then the yard has become a home for makers and manufacturers alike. However, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit New York City earlier this year, the Brooklyn Navy Yard stepped up yet again in serving America's heroes, producing an estimated 25% of New York City's PPE output. Today on the Manufacturing Report, I speak with Johanna Greenbaum. Johanna is the Chief Development Officer of the Brooklyn Navy Yard Development Corporation. We have a fascinating conversation about the history of the Brooklyn Navy Yard and how the yard's manufacturers have worked together to meet the city's PPE needs. Hey, Johanna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So let me ask you first, I know the Navy Yard in one form or another has been around since 1801. What brought you to the Navy Yard and uh, when did you start collaborating? Yeah, so I'm the chief development officer at the Navy Yard and I joined in 2019. I have a background in real estate and specifically in urban technology and real estate. I joined from a Google Alphabet company to the yard last year. And I think this is the what attracted me to the Brooklyn Navy Yard is just the dynamic community that's here. We have over 400 businesses, small entrepreneurs, ranging from very small shops to, you know, several hundred person businesses. It's this incredible place along um, what is sometimes known as the Innovation Coast on the Brooklyn waterfront. The yard has, an, as you alluded to, has an incredibly rich history dating back to the presidency of John Adams. So we're in our nearly 220th year. And over those 220 years, obviously, the yard's taken on many shapes and forms. But today, it serves as a vital part of the New York City economy. I know you have amazing creators there, not only in manufacturing, you know, you described the Innovation Coast perfectly, I think, you know, just the amount of apps and hardware and software and innovation and creation that occurs is extraordinary. So, But let's pause for one second and just remind our listeners of the critical importance that the Navy Yard played in World War II, which I think is hard for people today to imagine because New York is a metropolis and kind of manufacturing enormous battleships is probably not something that that most people are going to recall. But just let's remind our listeners of that and then we can launch into the critical role the Navy Yard is playing today. Sure. The Navy Yard played a critical role actually in American history for you know, the hundred plus years before World War II as well, but really in World War II and the lead up to the U.S. involvement in the war, the Navy Yard was an incredible epicenter for jobs and shipbuilding and ship production. 
many of, I'm not a naval historian, um, but many of the country's most important battleships were actually built here on the Brooklyn waterfront. The yard employed 70,000 people in the 1940s, working three shifts a day. So just basically today, often when I'm taking meetings with an entrepreneur, business partner, they'll walk in, sit down, and one of the first things I'll say is, you know, my great grand-uncle or my grandfather worked at the Navy Yard as a machinist, wow. as a painter, as a sewer. And so many people who have family history in New York City and in Brooklyn, in the surrounding areas, also have a connection, a familial connection to the yard, because this was a place that people came to work. They came here to have their first job, build some skills, and obviously a lot of people moved on. But especially in the war, mobilization effort, this was a major place of employment, and it's still a major place of employment today. But quite a few um, people's history touches the yard in some way, shape, and form. And I would be remiss not to mention, for those who are naval historians, the battleships that were built here were just absolutely massive. Um, would be uh, Just among the many include the Arizona and the Missouri, both who played important roles in the country's World War II history. Right. And, you know, today, obviously, we aren't building battleships, but we still have the operational dry docks that can build those battleships or that did build those battleships. They're actually the length. I'm looking out the window now. Um, <laughs> you could lay the Chrysler building down inside one of them. So that's incredible. Quite a industrial or, or large scale operation here. But obviously, today, the companies that inhabit the space are not building ships. They're using advanced manufacturing to build technologies and hardware, and we can get into all of that. Yeah. So the Navy Yard closes in the mid-60s. The federal government turns it over to the city of New York. It's developed and it's been, there's been several iterations. You obviously joined in in 2019, but talk to me kind of pre-pandemic about the types of makers and creators and small manufacturers and others who you were attracting there? And what was the appeal of a large space that used to make battleships for these folks? Sure. So I should also say that I've been working with the yard for over a decade in various capacities. Just I worked for the mayor of the city of New York many years ago and piloted the city bike program. And actually, that's a great example because city bike, which is our bike sharing system, the bikes were assembled here originally, but in addition to that, this is also a great testing ground. Before they rolled out onto the streets of New York, they were tested here. We're a 300-acre campus, so there's plenty of need to, to have micromobility solutions. And even though we have, we have over 70 buildings and streets and everything that allow you to have sort of a microcosm of a city within the Navy Yard itself. But just to give you the history, the employment here in World War II was 70,000 people. By the mid-60s, actually 1966 is when the Navy officially decommissioned the facility. The numbers had dwindled to about 9,500 and, and obviously then quickly to zero. And there were some thoughts about how and what to do with the space. And it took, frankly, several decades for the city um, to figure out what to do. Um, there were some ideas about bringing shipbuilding back and that sort of 
fizzled. There was an idea that you could have domestic car manufacturing here, which never really took off. And then, you know, like cities in general, the 80s in America, the 80s were not a prime time for New York City. But as we climbed out of that period, this became a really vibrant place for innovative entrepreneurs looking for affordable rents in a somewhat unaffordable real estate market um, and sort of a, a, protective, a protected, innovative community to become a part of. I think the one of the things that's really unique about the Navy Yard, separate and apart from other manufacturing communities or buildings um, around the country, is that we are 300 acres. We are 400 or so businesses. There really is a community here. And that is part of the attraction of all these folks coming together. We have about 70% of our companies collaborate with another yard company. And we'll talk a little bit about that because uh, it happened with our COVID response as well. Hmm. But this is really a place where much like the reason that people come to cities in the first place is for like the collaboration and the random encounters and the ability to collaborate with neighbors and meet people this is a microcosm of that. Um, so I think that those are some of the reasons that folks come. And of course, you know, once we have one, we have a lot of friends and family who get referred here through their business contacts because they hear about the kind of community and the kind of space that we have here. So let's forward to 2020. And obviously, you know, the pandemic is still hot and fresh in our daily lives. But in New York City, you were impacted enormously and early. And I know that you and the Navy Yard and the creators there and the manufacturers have played an important role in the response on PPE. I imagine because I've talked to a lot of manufacturers about how just the pandemic impacted their businesses, right? Just their operations or their, their sales or, you know, retail. So what was the impact like for the manufacturers in your space before this pivot to PPEs? I think that COVID-19, forgive the analogy, but sort of hit like a tidal wave here in that you could see it coming, but only for like a few moments before it arrived. Yeah. And just to give you an idea, we do like a lot of outreach and communication with our companies here. And I look back at my calendar before getting on the phone with you this morning and and it was like Thursday, March the 12th or something, we sort of saw this, that there might be like a period where we were all working from home and our companies are all working from home. And Friday, we brought our companies together for like an in-person meeting that was the beginning of social distancing. Yeah. We thought that this would be like a phase in over the next few weeks. And frankly, like Monday, everyone was basically at home. I just will note, so this kind of just like happened very quickly. And while you could see it a day or two out, the plans changed and evolved minute by minute, hour by hour. And I think in some ways that slowed down a little bit, but there's still that level of uncertainty. And I would note also that while there were many stay-at-home orders in New York City and New York State, the Navy Yard remained open throughout the entire pandemic. We never closed our doors because we have so many essential businesses. I think to answer your question, there are a number of businesses here that pivoted and obviously moved to making PPE or whose, whose product was considered essential and were able to stay open throughout. 
And just in terms of our businesses generally who are not in a position to pivot or weren't deemed essential for some other reason, in April, the federal government issued the PPP loan program. We quickly mobilized to work with our companies because the truth is that a lot of these, all of our companies or the vast majority of them are small businesses. Yeah. And like small businesses all over the country, they are deeply impacted by the sort of shift in our economy that's happening right now as a result of COVID-19. But we are a really supportive community. We've worked with everyone to try to keep them in place and afloat. Again, coaching folks through the PPP loan program, working on rent relief policy to help people get over the hump of these last six months and trying to keep these small businesses in business so that they can get their feet back under them. But listen, the major thing that I'd say also is that these businesses are run by creative, innovative, entrepreneurial people. And they started a business in the first place, whether it was making, you know, handbags or 3D printing uh, parts or whatever it is. And it's that creative and entrepreneurial spirit that I think will really see them through this crisis. Clearly. So there does come this point then where a number of your tenants, your businesses, your collaborators understand that there's this need for PP and everything from hand sanitizer to surgical gowns to clear face shields to face masks. So talk a bit about how that came online and was scaled up and what role the Navy Yard itself is playing in any of this and also connecting people with where these things need to get to, because that seems to be one of the big hiccups that we've seen in the system. Like the virus itself, this all happened so quickly. And I was just like thinking back to those late days in March and those early days in April. And basically our businesses were incredible and are incredible. Essentially, the Navy Yard's role, obviously, I'm not a producer of any PPE or any physical thing. What we really were able to do and how we were able to help our businesses is by being a catalyst and facilitator between what the city needs. And I'm speaking about the city kind of broadly, but also specifically like the Department of Health and the agencies that were in charge of like making sure that the right supplies were getting to the right hospitals and the right locations and that they were meeting the basic technical standards. And we were able to act as a major catalyst and facilitator between the, for example, Department of Health and our small businesses. And I would just say, you know, basically, like I said, this crisis kind of hit New York in the Ides of March, like right in the middle of March. And by early April, we were already in production on all those items that you talked about, the hand sanitizer, uh, hospital gowns for essential medical workers, face shields for medical workers and and other essential workers. A number of our companies came together to create a respirator ventilator. It's hard to remember this now, but in those initial weeks, there was a major crisis in New York City hospitals around ventilator shortages and needing to make decisions. And luckily, New York never got to absolute crisis point, but that's partially because companies like this one came together and figured out innovative solutions. So I think by mid-April, I think the Navy Yard was producing around 25% of New York City's PPE. And wow. 
yeah and and you know that was only that's literally maybe three and a half weeks into this whole crisis and i think what that really emphasizes is that global supply chain completely broke down quickly you know within a week or two you you thought people always rely i i myself rely on the fact that you could just order it from somewhere order it from amazon order it from wherever the internet and like suddenly that was not a possibility. You couldn't order PPE and you couldn't order these things that you needed. And so it was incredibly important to have local supply chain and local production capacity. And that's one of the major things that Neely Art provided to New York City in this time. So I think hospital gowns is a great example of how within, honestly, like hours and days of realizing that we were in a major medical crisis, a major city crisis, two of our major fashion companies and garment producers came together. Couldn't be more different. The first was Lafayette 148, which is a high-end women's fashion brand. They make amazing clothes, um, but they're not who you would think of if you're thinking hospital gown production. Not at all, I have to say. Not at all. Not uh, necessarily hospital guns. And then Cry Precision, which is a company that grew from a couple hundred square feet of space here at the Navy Yard and about five people to well over 200 people and well over 100,000 square feet of space here at the Yard. They are a military gear production company. So essentially they make military, very specific armed forces gear, bulletproof vests, helmets for helicopter pilots and everything in be- that you can imagine in between. So those two companies came together. We called them up and said, listen, hospitals are running low on gowns. It's a major health concern. We need to figure out a way to produce hundreds of thousands of gowns. And by the way, we don't have a pattern or anything to work from. So essentially, we at the yard got a, a gown from the Department of Health, one of their extras, We brought it to Lafayette 148 to one of their central main sewers who ripped the garment apart, created a pattern from it, created a digital file of that pattern, shared it with Cry Precision, the military um, gear company, who was able to go into more technical detail and create what's known in the fashion industry as a tech pack, which means that it's basically like a blueprint for how to produce the garment that can then be shared and open sourced with anyone with sewing skills. Cry was able, because they have massive laser cutters that can cut through 100 pieces of military canvas at once, they were able to do large-scale cutting of the garment and of the pieces that needed to be sewn together. And they were also, because of their technical background, able to really figure out just some gentle guidance and a few conference calls that we helped facilitate what the hospitals really needed, like I said, in terms of permeability and and waterproofness and everything else with the garment in terms of performance. We think about it, Cry really has to focus on performance of all their garments. So, you know, like a Navy SEAL unit will come to them and say, I want this vest, but it has to be six ounces lighter than anything ever made before. So this is like what they do every day. Very complex stuff from a layperson's perspective. I was on these calls and helping facilitate the conversation. And Greg Thompson, who's one of the principals at Cry Precision, just like the amount of technical detail and knowledge and everything that they brought to the 
challenge and to the crisis was incredible. And basically, he was able to, from the pattern that, that Lafayette uh, was able to produce in the digital file, he created a garment, he brought the sample back to Department of Health, all within like a five-day period or less. They approved the sample, and we went into production with Cry cutting the pieces and Lafayette and eight or nine other smaller yard companies joining in anyone who had sewing skills essentially so from the smallest producers of like women's leather handbags to a dry cleaner on campus hmm. anyone with sewing skills jumped into the fray wow they used hmm. the technical pack and the sort of instructions that were developed by the larger producers as their guideposts and then we ended up actually outsourcing that to everyone in New York City or anyone really who had sewing capability and was interested in pitching in. So that was like an incredible, to me anyway, incredible story. Yeah. I think the yard has produced over 250,000 guns over probably a two or three month period. And, you know, it started from nothing it, to reverse engineer a garment, which seems rather simple. It's not a wedding dress. Um, but actually, what I learned is that everything is complicated, frankly. Um, <laughs> sure. So that's one quick story. And there's, I mean, there's a hundred stories here, but yeah. the face shields, which were one of the first things that came off the Navy Yard production line very early on, like in the second week of our shutdown here in New York. That was a collaboration between two yard companies who had never met before, but where we sort of, after hearing from the city that they needed clear face shields that are kind of, if you can imagine the piece of plastic that goes, we sort of wear on a headband in front of your face in addition to a mask. I know the look. Yes, absolutely. Very attractive, um, but it's essential yeah. for anyone working in for example, working in hospitals, my brother is actually a doctor in a Brooklyn hospital and was working with COVID patients from March on. I mean, he continues to today. And he actually got one of our face shields in his hospital's package, as did many of our friends and colleagues. And we got many kind of notes about how it was so amazing to see something produced at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. But to give you an idea, those are two companies that came together one, Dugal is a sign and high-end printing company. So like billboards or things that you may see out in um, Soho or outdoor signage, they have these incredible printing machines where they can print kind of anything you can think of. And Bednark, which is a production and design company, they design sets, everything from like sets to store and restaurant interiors. They are just like creative innovative people who make bespoke products. And those two companies came together to design the space shield, figure out the specs, source the plastic and all the other component parts. And I think one interesting thing about their story is that these are two companies that came together, had never met before, basically created a business together in a matter of a couple of days and put dozens and dozens of people back to work at a time when a lot of people were being furloughed or laid off or businesses shuttered in late March and early April. So actually some folks that 
or furloughed from other yard businesses, we were able to redirect into the face shield operation because they were hiring and needed people who understood sort of assembly line and had worked on assembly line before. And, you know, that operation ended up producing over the course of two or three months, two million face shields for New York City. So those are just two of the many products that come out of the yard. In addition to our distillers, we have a Kings County distillery here on the yard that went from distilling alcohol and spirits to making hand sanitizer. And, you know, it's just incredible to see these companies figure out what their city and community needs and become part of the effort within a matter of days, if not weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just going to repeat that for our listeners, that very quickly that the Navy Yard was providing essentially 25% of some of the PPE needs for New York City, which is just amazing to think about how quickly that pivot occurred and how effective it was. So eventually, obviously, the infection rate goes down and yes. we're still vigilant and there's still a crisis, but it's not nearly as acute as it was, say, in, in March and April. Yep. But there's a broader societal need for all of this. And so I know that the Navy Yard launched a new campaign called Made at the Yard yep. that's looking at responding to the pandemic for, I guess, the long haul or however we need to be. So tell us what that looks like. What inspired its creation? Sure. We're here to help our businesses grow, to be honest to provide the community and the scaffolding and, and figure out what these small businesses need to get to the next level, to get to the next level. Like I told you about Cry Precision and how they grew from a five-person shop to several hundred people. That's not every business at the Navy Yard, but we'd like to give every business in the Navy Yard the ability or the opportunity to grow to that kind of scale. Made at the Yard somewhat grew organically, but it's part of our overall business support system that we have here. I mentioned the PPP loans. I would be remiss if I didn't sort of go into a little bit greater detail there. If you'll remember, there were several rounds of PPP loan. And in the first round, frankly, most small businesses got completely shut out, even though this right. is a loan program designed to keep small businesses in play. I can tell you of our several hundred businesses, only less than 10 received PPP in the first round. And we saw this happening and we went and created a special banking relationship with Goldman Sachs, who dedicated approximately $10 million to loans for yard businesses only. And then in the second round, um, we were able to push towards over 130 PPP loans across the yard. So that's just one way in which we support businesses. Made at the yard is another way, but it's really something that is good for our businesses, but also good for New York City. So as folks were working on face shields and hospital gowns and respirators and all these like complicated technical garments and gear, there were also a number of smaller producers on the yard who were working on cloth face masks, which I know seem very commonplace to us all today, but back in March and April, we're just like nobody understood what they were or why we were wearing them or where to get them. And Made at the Yard is basically an opportunity for New Yorkers and people all over the country to be able to buy products that are made at the yard, whether they be cloth face masks or hand sanitizer, like I mentioned, from Kings County Distillery, or some of the other folks that have pivoted to sanitation products. 
it's a way to support Brooklyn and New York City businesses by local, by Brooklyn. And then also to have like really high quality products. New York City started moving into its phases of opening starting June 8th. And in preparation for that, we came up with a bunch of protocols for having an increased number of people here on the yard. And one of them was that everyone needs to wear a face mask. In order to facilitate that, we actually created a vending machine full of yard products and made it available in the lobby of one of our main buildings, uh, Building 77, which is one of our larger open to the public buildings. And we did this basically as an operational concern. But honestly, like, it's had incredible sales. Um, wow. <laughs> More than a gimmick. It's quite functional, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. totally shocked. Like, I thought that this would have <laughs> you sales because you, like, forget your face mask at home and you're here and you can't get up the elevator without the proper face covering. So, like, we wanted to have people have the opportunity to be able to, like, finish out their day, even if they lost their face mask. Sure. We're not taking this company public or anything. Um, it doesn't make millions of dollars a year, but it does get locally made protective gear into the hands of New Yorkers in a really effective way. We posted this on our social media and we got a number of inquiries. So we were actually working with a number of local parks and business improvement districts mm. around New York City because they're interested in vending machines. Yeah. And in September, we're moving towards a site that we've actually worked on collaboratively amongst our community here called Made at the Yard that would allow people to buy Made at the Yard products online. In addition to that, I just also quickly want to mention a large Brooklyn-based company that we worked with in the midst of the pandemic on getting what I'll call retail PPE, like for the normal person, not a medical worker, specialized worker, essential worker. West Elm is based here. It's our neighbor, just literally a few hundred feet outside of our gate. And in the midst of the pandemic, I did a call with their CEO, who's an amazing guy, and said, you know, we have a number of people here making cloth face masks, and they really need a venue to be able to sell it out of. And he said, great, like, we're going to put it on our website as part of our West Ham local movement. And they did that. The mask sold out like several times. Um, but that's just, you know, two Brooklyn companies working together to help their community. And it was it was really like a terrific partnership. They're wonderful partners. And it gave an opportunity for a number of our smaller businesses to get exposure to like a national audience. So listen, like, it looks like some of these things and some of these changes are here to stay, at least for the next few quarters. We're excited to help our businesses connect with consumers and marketplaces and honestly get PPE to New Yorkers and everyone around the country. It's clear that you have thought this through. And it, I completely agree with you, first of all, Joanna, that I think some version of this is going to be with us for a while and yeah. everybody's going to be still adapting to it. And you're, you're positioning your manufacturers, your tenants there to play a role in all of that. I, I wanted to broaden the lens just for a second because you know, it goes without saying that there's not ever probably going to be a Navy yard that employs 70,000 people yeah. making battleships again, right? Yeah. But I do think that and I guess this is a, a comment and a question at the same time that yeah. that 
urban manufacturing, is small and mid-sized enterprises, this type of collaboration. I mean, you've shown the benefits of having that in a space where there yep. can be that instant collaboration and that feedback and that nimbleness. And yep. you've like taken a global supply chain and now it's in Brooklyn, basically, for for a lot of stuff. Yep. But also when we look at, and we think about good jobs and poverty reduction and lots of issues that our society is, is facing, I imagine that you all have thought about that. And I'm just wondering, as you're looking ahead, what you think the role that the Navy Yard plays in some of this urban renewal, poverty reduction, and also having resilient supply chains or supply as we look ahead. A hundred percent. So I think this crisis, uh, you know, this health crisis really demonstrated how important having the ability to produce locally and having local manufacturing available to major American cities and major global cities is incredibly important. New York City and many of the other major cities across the country all had important industrial waterfronts and industry in them at some point. I've worked in cities my entire career and and on urban issues my entire career. Cities have obviously changed since then, and I don't think we can bring back or would want to bring back the manufacturing of the early 1900s or the mid-1900s. That's not really the goal. But I do think that there's a huge place and importance in a resilient urban economy to have this type of what I call light manufacturing or advanced manufacturing embedded within cities. You can see in in a moment like this, you need to be able to be self-reliant and do some things on your own and not necessarily rely on overseas production and manufacturing to somehow make its way to your you know, mailbox, um, because a lot of us found out the hard way that those supply chains completely broke down in this moment. But number two, this is really important part of any urban economy. Having the ability to have creative, innovative companies that are inventing new things, that are creating new hardware, and by hardware, I mean physically produced things, whether they be tech hardware or a woodworker producing a piece of furniture or materials, being able to do that locally is is incredibly important part of an innovative economy. And, you know, we're really lucky at the Navy Yard, this land and this environment was established by John Adams in 1801. And so it's sort of always been here in Brooklyn. And it's not really a question that this would be turned into some other use. But I think that the yard companies are really providing an important component into the New York City economy. I sort of joke that we're the Noah's Ark of the New York City business community (laughs) because we've got at least one and probably two of everything you can think of from, like I said, 3D printing companies to drone companies to woodworkers to artists to digital design companies. Like, honestly, you name it, and we've probably got at least one of them. So I think it's incredibly important. I think that we're seeing that cities need diverse economies in order to be able to keep, you know, in the case of New York, 8.6 million people safe. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all the work that you are doing and your manufacturers are doing. And Joanna, thank you so much for spending a bit of 
your day on the podcast with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to speak with you. And that will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about the Brooklyn Navy Yard's Made at the Yard campaign, you can visit madeatheyard.com. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Cat Adams in particular for their great work to make this episode possible. And I also want to thank you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us some great episode ideas. Be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And please let us know what you think by leaving a review and a rating. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or you can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.